You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.pagosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.pagosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of April 16th, 2017. The podcast that wanders lonely as a cloud. This is your host, Shane Killian, and joining us this week is Travis Retriever. Travis, welcome back to the podcast. Mark, good to be back once again, Shane. Let's desolidify the news of the bogus. First, an update in the Kim.com mega upload case. It looks like it might be going to the Supreme Court. Dotcom's legal team has asked the Supreme Court to hear his case to stop the U.S. government from taking all his stuff without due process. I mean, the fact that they even had to tell the government, essentially, to use due process, at all kind of speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, are you ready for this? The case is United States versus all assets listed in attachment A. Um, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yep, this is civil asset forfeiture. Yep. Uh, as if I need yet another reason to hate it. <laughs> yeah, this is where the government issues a case against inanimate objects rather than human beings. I mean, they already have a war against inanimate objects like drugs, so, yeah. I mean... Why not? <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this concept back in October of 2013. When we talked about cases like one 1958 Plymouth sedan versus Pennsylvania, <laughs> United States versus $124,700, oh United States versus 50 acres of land, might make it a little difficult for them to show up in court, uh, United States versus 37 photographs, <laughs> no word if they were glossy with circles and arrows and the paragraph on the back of each one. I swear it's like a Kafka's dream sequence, these case titles. <laughs> United States versus one solid gold object in form of a rooster. <laughs> and my personal favorite, United States versus approximately 64,695 pounds of shark fins. Blah, damn. <laughs> So, yeah, this is what .com's going through. I mean, even if you think the guy's guilty as sin and deserves to go to jail, he should still get due process. At this point, it's not even telling police and the judges and stuff. We're not even telling them how to do their jobs. At this point, we're telling them to do what's supposed to be their jobs in the first place. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. government shouldn't be able to do this and run around the Constitution, especially since none of these assets were in the U.S. to begin with, and that's the first issue .com is asking the court to address. Can you have asset forfeiture for assets that are outside of the U.S. and outside of the U.S. government's jurisdiction? And the argument, which the dissent in the appeals court ruling agreed with, is that a federal court ruling is supposed to be binding, but a federal court ruling can't be binding outside the jurisdiction of the U.S. courts. Quote, The majority sidesteps this concern by cabining it to the separation of powers context. The defendant in this action, the race, is outside of the United States and beyond the control of the district court. Absent control, no order of the district court can be binding on the race because the fate of the race is ultimately not in the hands of the district court. 
Instead, the race in this case is subject to control of the courts of New Zealand and Hong Kong. Without control of the race, the district court's decision cannot bind the race and thus constitutes an advisory opinion prohibited by Article 3. I mean, it's one thing if they can actually prove that, well, yeah, but he used these assets to do X, Y, Z, and therefore that's why they should be taken, but... No, we're taking it because screw you. Yeah, what you're talking about will be criminal asset forfeiture where you actually go and you have a trial, and if he's convicted, then they can take the assets. This is civil asset forfeiture where they basically sue the inanimate objects in civil court. Oh, so in that case, I can pretty much unanimously say, or unequivocally say, asset forfeiture, at least civil asset forfeiture, is just completely bogus. I mean, it basically just sounds like glorified robbery. The other two issues deal with the claim the dot-com can't protest the seizure of his assets because he's a fugitive. We've already wondered how he can be a fugitive from the U.S. when he's never even been there. <laughs> One also wonders how he can be a fugitive when he's not hiding or running away, but going through the proper legal channels he's entitled to in New Zealand. So much for, well, if you just obey the law and you're not guilty, I have nothing to fear, am I right? Yeah. He isn't a fugitive. He's not hiding. He's not running. He's following the rules of due process. The U.S. federal government is not. He's finding extradition to a country where he's never even set foot. Reef. Now, most requests to the Supreme Court to hear cases are rejected, but they're more likely to be taken if there are conflicting ruling in the federal circuit or appeals courts. The filing says, quote, This court has previously admonished that the harsh sanction of fugitive disentitlement in a civil forfeiture action is most severe and so could disserve the dignitary purposes for which it is invoked, because it forecloses consideration of claims on the merits. The court noted that it had held it unconstitutional to use disentitlement similar to this as punishment for rebellion against the United States, but left open the question of whether enforcement of a disentitlement rule under proper authority would violate due process. Nonetheless, a divided panel of the Fourth Circuit affirmed civil forfeiture based on fugitive disentitlement. So, hopefully the Supremes will take this up, and hopefully they'll rule the correct way for all our sakes. Oh, let us dream, dang it, let us dream. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. 
And another story about patents. The response we keep getting from statists is that patents are necessary for innovation. We point to history to show that exactly the opposite is the case, and history just gave us one more data point in India. So CSIR Tech, an arm of India's Center for Scientific and Industrial Research, had to shut down operations because they filed too many patents. As the Hindu reports, quote, CSIR has filed more than 13,000 patents, 4,500 in India and 8,800 abroad, at a cost of 500 million rupee, about $7.7 million, over the last three years. Across years, that's a lot of taxpayers' money, which in turn means that the closing of CSIR Tech is a tacit admission that its work has been an expensive mistake, a mistake that we taxpaying citizens have paid for. I would never actually read that SCIR bit out like that. I would just call them Caesar. Caesar. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> Getting these patents had nothing to do with innovation or even licensing revenues, but just so they could look more impressive. Quote, Recently, Caesar's Director General Girish Sani claimed that most of Caesar's patents were biodata patents filed solely to enhance the value of a scientist's resume and that the extensive expenditure of public funds spent in filing and maintaining patents was unviable. Caesar claims to have licensed a percentage of its patents but has so far failed to show any revenue earned from the licenses. This compulsive hoarding of patents has come at a huge cost. If Caesar Tech was privately run, it would have been shut down long ago. Acquiring intellectual property rights comes out of our blind adherence to the idea of patenting as an index of innovation. It always struck me as, like, some kind of circular reasoning. Like, the same people who will lump in uh, government spending on healthcare as a reason why government healthcare is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Can't do that, folks. Knock that off. And... The measure of how good a country's healthcare system is is how much their government spends on it. Yeah. <laughs> but this yeah. patent thing, we see it all the time. Scientists file patents just out of vanity. Companies file them for prestige and on and on. There's no evidence that patents have had a positive effect on innovation. Just the opposite, in fact. They're used for monopolization and also to improve a person or company's image with serious side effects to themselves and to society as a whole. So basically the same as copyright that artists will use to make to bolster their EPs and basically just to bully others. Yeah, it's sort of like copyright for inventions, basically is what it is. Yeah. I've heard some talk about how trademarks are also technically IP, but they're not as controversial. I mean, eh, I well, don't really... Well, not really. Trademarks are all about setting up a brand and stopping someone from doing something that imitates the brand out of confusion. Uh, I think it was the last time I had the Superplex Brothers on there. We talked about some of those issues, so check the archives for that. I, I know that the term isn't identity theft, but I think it'd be... What's it called? I think yeah, like it, it, it's about it's about not making forged. I mean, if you want to make a car that looks and runs exactly like an Audi, you should be able to do it. In my opinion, as soon as you stick the Audi logo on it and pretend it was made by Audi, you've crossed the line. And because it has an Audi logo on it, 
the person who was then damaged or hurt in that then turns around instead of suing me like they should, they then turn around and sue Al. Well, it's also kind of, I think, like if I got a bunch of paints and a canvas and I did something that looks like Van Gogh might have painted it, and I sell it to you for you know, millions of dollars telling you it's a genuine Van Gogh. That would be just good old-fashioned fraud. Yeah, so if I do that with, and I stick the Audi logo on it, and I tell you it's an Audi, and you're banking on that from, uh, by the way, I just picked Audi completely randomly. This is nothing for or against them as a company, but if you're banking on Audi's reputation or whatever, then it's the same kind of thing. I'm initiating force against you because I'm not fulfilling my end of the contract. I'm not giving you the product you paid for. Like, if I were to say, use your name in that photo of you that I'm looking at in Skype as my own and stuff, I mean, that's completely unrelated to IP. That is something completely different. So, back to the story, quote, It is predominantly taxpayers' money that goes into public-funded research. When research is commercialized by private entities, it tends to be sold back to the public at a price. America is in the midst of such a conundrum, where talks are going on of granting French pharmaceutical company Sanofi... I have no idea how that's pronounced. It's probably French. (laughs) (laughs) I can't pronounce French. Exclusive license for the drug against the Zika virus, a drug which has already cost the American exchequer $43 million in R&D. Granting Sanofi this would defeat the purpose of public funds expended on research as the company would charge the American public again for the life-saving drug. But the Hindu offers an interesting compromise solution, quote, A possible solution to preserve the objective of publicly funded research is to devise an IPR policy wherein patents are initially offered on an open royalty-free license to startups. Once startups commercialize the invention successfully, the royalty-free license could be converted into a revenue-sharing model. Not only would it bring a sense of accountability to the managers who run the system, but it would also open up publicly funded research to a whole lot of people, especially startups, who can now test, verify, work, and put the patented technology into the market. Or just get rid of patents entirely because they were never needed for innovation and only ever made things worse, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting halfway kind of solution there. I mean, I mean, hey, it's still an improvement, and I'm totally bored if it improves things. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. Travis, you have a very heartbreaking story from us from the University of Texas at Arlington. Oh my god, yes. So, you know how we keep hearing all these stories about false allegations of bigotry or sexual harassment or whatever ruining lives? 
Well, here's another one, but this one has a bit of an interesting, unique selling point. Is that it was actually a gay guy trying to press the charges on another guy. It says, like, you know, you should consider killing yourself. That's what Thomas Clock, a straight male student at the University of Ar Texas at Arlington, allegedly told a gay male classmate after finding out about his sexuality on class May 19, 2016. The classmate filed a Title IX complaint with the university. So, Clock, and apologies to him and his family if I'm mispronouncing his name, but Clock is the one being accused, and the uh, other unnamed student is the guy who is the accuser. And I always find that a bit weird, like how they won't ever share the name of the accuser in these cases, but yeah. Well, look how long it was before they gave the name of Crystal Mangum, the one who falsely accused those Duke lacrosse players of rape, and even then it was only like two news outlets that gave the name after those lacrosse players had been raked through the mud for years. Their lives effectively ruined, no doubt. I don't think they're ruined. I think they're actually not doing too bad, but they've still got this cloud that's kind of following them around wherever they go. Yeah. My heart goes out to them and their families, as it does for Clock, who denied having ever made such a comment. In his version of the story, the classmate came into him during class, calling him beautiful. Clock understandably would have felt uncomfortable, as would I have, and I say this as a gay male myself, if, if it just came like completely right out of the blue like that. And I'm thinking, like, seriously, dude, time and a place, damn it. But yeah, so told the classmate that he was straight and moved to a different seat after the classmate was to stop looking at him. The classmate might have been worried Clock would have accused him of sexual harassment. Clock later guessed because he immediately followed his own sexual harassment complaint against Clock. The accusers told the university officials that Clock had called him a quote-unquote faggot and threatened to kill him. Clock maintained that he did no such thing, but the university sided with the accuser, and here's when things go into deep, deep corruption. Days after discovering that a funding of responsibility could prevent him from getting into grad school, Clock committed suicide. Oh, man. Yeah. That's according to Watchdog.org. That's the thing people need to understand. That sort of thing has real consequences. This isn't just a harmless thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she writes that if every other egregious example of a male student denied due process after being accused of sexual misconduct gets ignored, this one should not be. I suggest reading the full story here at the Watchdog Org story. We will never know who is telling the truth and who is lying, though it's worth noting that in Clock's version, he was the victim of something approaching harassment, at least according to the Education Department's Board of Definition of Harassment under its revised Title IX guidance. And as Total Line activists frequently remind the public, we must always believe the victims. Because, you know, screw you, burden of proof, screw you, due process, we don't need your crap. Well, and in this case, it just seems like the victim was whoever filed the complaint first, because if Clark, or whatever his name is, had filed the complaint first, he could have said, yeah, he was sexually harassing me, and then he would have been the victim. Yeah, it gets even more infuriating as this goes on. Because the investigation was biased against Clock from the start, owing to the unfortunate fact that his accuser was on friendly terms with Associate Vice President of Student Affairs Heather Snow, who assisted the accuser in filing the complaint. Snow did not follow procedure. According to a lawsuit filed against the college by Clock's family, she failed to contact the university's Title IX coordinator and took charge of the investigation herself. Note the blatant unfairness, quote, Snow took control of the disciplinary procedure that involved a complaint she wrote herself. She enlisted the help of UTA's Associate 
Director of Academic Integrity, Daniel Moore, and had him tell Clock that he was immediately prohibited from attending the class where the incident was alleged to have occurred. Clock was completing the course as part of a short summer, pre-summer semester in order to graduate that summer. When Clock was informed that the accusation had been launched against him, he was not told the name of his accuser. Clock was also informed that he could not contact anyone in the class, directly or indirectly, effectively denying him the ability to find witnesses to corroborate his story. Sounds like Kafka again. So, not only are they shifting the burden of proof to the guy who doesn't have the burden of proof, they're also actively impeding his ability to even meet a burden of proof that isn't even his. Yep. I mean, that is just unexcusable. His accuser was able to remain in the class and find witnesses. Tellingly, he could only find one who didn't cooperate his account, but who did say he heard someone say, you should leave. This could have been said by either Clock or his accuser in either of their stories. So, who knows. Now, Clock received no hearing, even though the university's Title IX policy explicitly mandates hearings for students in danger of being expelled. He was simply charged with making physical threats against a student. And as we've established, without evidence, without any due process, and without any ability to even meet a burden of proof that wasn't even his, and engaging in harassment in violation of Title IX. Snow conferred with Associate Director of Academic Integrity Daniel Moore, who conceded that there wasn't enough evidence against Clock, according to the lawsuit. The administrators found him responsible for harassment anyway and placed him on disciplinary probation. On June 2nd, 2016, Clock killed himself. His family is now suing the university for, among other things, violating his Title IX rights. Students accused of sexual misconduct deserve competent legal representation, fair hearings, and the opportunity to confront their accusers, i.e. due process. There's that pesky due process again. Yeah. If it cannot be reasonably shown that the accused is likely guilty or... Actually, I thought the standard wasn't even likely guilty, but rather, quote... Guilty beyond reasonable doubt, close quote. Well, that's a standard in criminal cases, but this is a university hearing under Title IX, and I don't know what the standard is there. I mean, if it's something that's that life-ruining, or that dane, or ruining one's reputation of, you know, rape claims, sexual harassment, hate crimes, or whatever, that alone should place the standards fairly high. One would hope. Oh, let me dream. But I mean, even if it's something like rape, if you were to sue them in civil court for that to get monetary damages, that standard wouldn't apply. It would still be, depending on the state in North Carolina, it's the greater weight of the evidence. Other states have different standards, but they're all below that beyond all reasonable doubt for civil cases. Yeah. I mean, I've been told that that's one reason why uh, O.J. Simpson like was found guilty in the civil court, but innocent, or rather not guilty, in a uh, criminal court. Yeah, different centers of evidence for Bayesian reasoning. Anyways, the original purpose of Title IX was to ensure equality between the sexes in education. In its present-day iteration, Title IX is more like than a tool for irate students to exact vengeance on people who offended them. But in this case, it sounds like Title IX wasn't even properly followed. If they had followed Title IX, things might have worked out a little better for Clock. Yeah, see, this is what we mean by, like, rule of man, not rule of law. Right. It's when the laws followed consistently and impartially and with laws that specifically with laws that aren't bogus, like wicked laws. See that one what was it Heinlein quote that was you cannot administer a wicked law impartially. Oh, that was inherit the wind. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot administer a wicked law impartially. You can only punish, only destroy. And I warn you, a wicked law like cholera destroys everyone that it touches. Its upholders as well as its defiers. And I also think of 
The rule of law in complex times has proved itself deficient. We much prefer the rule of men. It's vastly more efficient. <laughs> Jeez. The Incredible Bread Machine. Uh-huh. One final note. As a gay male myself, I wholeheartedly condemn the accuser. Folks, do you want to bring back, like, really super hardcore homophobia? If so, it's crap like this that's going to bring it back with a vengeance. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to revoke the signature of this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. And this week it goes to Patrick Harker, President of the Philadelphia Federal Reserve Bank, for his incredible ignorance of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that he showed in a speech on April 3rd. Harker says that there's just no way that digital currency can be viable, unless, of course, it's run by government. Well, I mean, if you want something run competently, you want it run by government. <laughs> That's why the post office is considered top of the law. Oh, wait... But even then, there are, quote, technical challenges, the unprecedented risk of cyber attacks, potential for criminal activity like money laundering, and threats to privacy. Okay, first of all, if he knew anything at all about cryptography, he should know that it's almost impossible to launch a cyber attack on a well-designed cryptocurrency because if it were, it would have happened by now, given how much money is being traded in Bitcoin. I mean, it's been tried. As for the technical challenges, the fact that there are so many open-source cryptocurrencies being run by people who get no payment for it, they don't seem to be all that insurmountable. Third, really, money laundering? Given the fact that most money laundering is done in cold, hard U.S. dollars? But Shane, Bitcoin doesn't differentiate between one or the other. Yeah, and their precious roads don't differentiate between someone going to work and someone going to rob a bank. Well, neither do tiny little green pieces of paper with a picture of a dead guy on them. But that's different because... magical space potatoes. And privacy. Really? Government's worried about that all of a sudden? <laughs> I mean, the thing governments don't like about cryptocurrencies is that they actually do a pretty good job of protecting privacy. You can get deterministic Bitcoin wallets that allow you to do a separate Bitcoin address for every transaction. Dash, which is not Dashcoin, that's a separate thing. Dash allows you to use a technology called Private Send, which ensures the privacy of transaction history and balances. So, there's your privacy. 
Adding to that, a few things I've learned with the Bitcoin stuff is, even in the absolute worst cases, it takes maybe in a few hours, like, and this is worst case scenario for a transaction to clear, with US dollars with my bank account, it can take up to a week, courtesy of the automated clearing householding stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's getting really bad with Bitcoin now and will until they solve the block size controversy. But yeah, it's taking hours instead of 10 minutes. But like you said, with a regular money transfer, you're lucky if it shows up the next business day. But anyways, now we get to the juicy part. Quote, Parker believes digital currencies will not delegitimize banking. That was never the point. Near as I can tell, the folks into that stuff just wanted to use it as an alternative. You know, just let us try something new. Yeah. Heaven forbid, stop putting a gun to our head and forcing us to use your specific currency. Exactly. But he also believes that cryptocurrencies won't have the same level of trust as government money, quote, A fiat currency like that in the United States, which is issued by a central bank in a secure and stable economy, <laughs> works because we trust it. A dollar is a dollar. We all agree that it is, and there's not much that can undermine that faith. We experience inflation, sure, but not often in dramatic or abrupt ways. No, it's only worth about four cents of what it was in 1913 when the Fed was created. A whole four cents? Holy crap, I thought it was more like two or three cents, but no. Well, no, I checked earlier, it's it's about four. Granted, that might also be using CPI, which has plenty of its own issues, but... Yeah, I think it was CPI, yeah. Yeah, well... Anyway. Okay, so yeah. Quote, people will know the dollar will retain its value. We experience inflation. Pick one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Make up your mind, yeah. He also says, quote, On the other hand, one of the things you'll see with digital currency is how wildly the value swings. The question is, will there ever be a digital currency that is stable enough to become as widely used as a government one? Kind of reminds me of what Ron Paul was pointing out about gold. They were pointing out, oh, look at gold. Gold does these wild swings. It's unstable. And Paul was like, um, compare gold to oil instead of U.S. dollars, and it's pretty flat. Yeah. I mean, how are you, how are you figuring out it's unstable? Are you comparing it to dollars? Maybe there's a problem there. Yeah, that boys. Oh, look, more circular reasoning. <laughs> well, here's the problem. And this problem exists with monetarists as well as Keynesians. You probably don't want a currency to be that stable, or at least if you're going by prices, you want it to be able to change with market conditions. And a guy by the name of Daniel Krawis, I probably mangled that, but he did a good job of making this case, quote, Stability is about as real as the fountain of youth, love potions, or perpetual motion machines. It is not to be found anywhere in the universe, but for some reason people act as if such a thing could somehow exist. Prices reflect the availabilities of things that we actually can have. So maybe we should all stop searching for a chimera of stability and accept that if the world is unstable, then prices ought to be unstable too. Otherwise, prices could not serve the function of enabling people to coordinate the allocation of scarce resources. And he's right. One of the big reasons why we haven't been able to recover that well in a crisis that started 10 years ago is that the Fed tries to keep holding prices stable but that stability is a complete illusion caused by market upheavals and economic crises that we don't see because they're deliberately manipulating the currency to stabilize the very economic indicators we use to detect those things. Be the kind of people who think that if you uh, just pull the needle on 
the uh, gas gauge from empty to full that you'll magically have more gas. I, that's not how it works. Again, that's a signal and should be treated as such. I usually use the example of putting electrical tape over the check engine light. That works too. So all of that makes Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker this week's biggest bogan emitter. Bogosity.tv gives you great ways to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.Bogosity.tv and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. Or go to Prime.Bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes, borrow Kindle books, and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to Kindle.Bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited. Read over 1 million books and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. Or go to home.bogosity.tv to try Amazon Home Services. Over a thousand different services from quality hand-picked pros, from house cleaning to equipment and furniture assembly, plumbing, electrical, painting, and other handyman services, all backed by Amazon's happiness guarantee. And as always, check the right-hand side of the podcast page for special Amazon deals. And now let's hit the mute button on this week's Idiot And in a lesson in how not to do customer service, the company Garagit, or Garagit, I'm not sure what that is, it's a combination of garage and gadget, the maker of smart garage door openers, but obviously not the smart maker of garage door openers. <laughs> found what they thought was just the best way of dealing with a negative review online. Remotely brick the guy's device so we can't use it at all. Reef. So more and more with the Internet of Things, we're seeing how these Internet-enabled devices can make us vulnerable to hackers and even snoopy nation-states. But apparently we also have to worry about being vulnerable to the whims of the manufacturer as well. So this device, it's actually an interesting idea. You have an app on your phone. It's in communication with your garage door. You can be notified if it's been open for too long. You can close it remotely if you need to. And you can also open and close it from the app in case you forgot your remote. I mean, that actually sounds pretty nifty. Yeah. But a user named R. Martin didn't find it quite so easy. He couldn't get the app to communicate with the garage door. After several tries, he got frustrated and gave up and posted to the Garage at website, quote, just installed and attempting to register a door when the app started doing this. Have uninstalled and reinstalled iPhone app, powered off and on, wondering what kind of piece of shit I just purchased here. He also gave it a one-star review on Amazon saying, Junk. Do not waste your money. iPhone app is a piece of junk, crashes constantly, startup company that obviously has not performed proper quality assurance tests on their products. 20 other users posted negative reviews. But it was that post that got under the skin of owner Dennis Grzak who responded, quote, Martin, the abusive language here and in your negative Amazon review submitted minutes after experiencing a technical difficulty only demonstrates your poor impulse control. Does this not sound like every single woo commenting on YouTube? I'm happy to provide the technical support to the customers on my Saturday night, but I'm not going to tolerate any tantrums. 
At this time, your only option is to return Garage to Amazon for a refund. Your unit ID, blah, 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 will be denied server connection. Yes, he disabled the device his customer had paid good money for, so he couldn't use it anymore. Somehow, I don't think this behavior will be appearing in a future edition of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Not a good move. The internet exploded, as it does, like we just saw with United Airlines. Oh, God. Now, probably no one would have minded if the guy had just offered to refund his money. But that behavior, no one was tolerating it. So, after numerous responses and even satire, Grzok decided he needed to do some damage control. He posted, quote, Okay, calm down, everybody. Save your pitchforks and torches for your elected representatives. <laughs> Okay, I actually like that line, so... Yeah, that, that actually was a good one. Maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. Yeah. <laughs> this only lacks the death threats now. The firing of the customer... He thinks you fire customers? What? I don't, know. I don't think that's how that works. Uh, maybe some people just aren't cut out to run a business. Yeah. Was never about the Amazon review. Just wanted to distance from the toxic individual ASAP. Admittedly, not a slickest PR move on my part. Note taken. He also asked if anyone had Streisand's phone number, an obvious solution to the Streisand effect, which he realized he just fell victim to. Bitch! <laughs> Grizzard told the LA Times, quote, Obviously it was a mistake. I was overprotective of my product, and it was hard to take this criticism. It's not going to happen again. He did make it clear that Martin was not being locked out of the garage or anything like that. It was just the internet service that was canceled. He could still open and close his garage door. He admitted it was a mistake, and he said it was due to inexperience and the pressures of operating as a one-person startup. And he pointed out that his experiences as an IT consultant where you can refuse a contract to a troublesome client, but, quote, that obviously isn't going to work with this industry. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, when you're selling a physical product, it's a little different. Yeah. Like, I was pretty disappointed with even Elon Musk of all people, and I'm, like, thinking, seriously, you two pulling this kind of nonsense, but... Yeah. For the guy's credit, uh, he did at least, after the fact, say, okay, yeah, I was in the wrong, I'm I'm sorry. Yep, lesson learned, but as Grzok found, that's life. Sometimes you have to take your lumps, including being named this week's... Idiot Extraordinary! up this you're like a pair of horrible old women edition of the bogosity podcast come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question statement news article or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv this podcast depends on you to keep going so please donate using the links on the website or the qr codes in the thumbnail or become a patron at patreon.bogosity.tv and get the podcast and youtube videos early and without ads or promos Thank you for listening, and thanks to Travis Retriever for joining me. It was fun. Until next time, here's a quote from P.T. Barnum. However successful a man may be in his own business, if he turns from that and engages in a business which he doesn't understand, he is like Samson when shorn of his locks. His strength has departed, and he becomes like other men. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license.
Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific, but creationism is not. Based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific and never be taken in by creationists again. I love that how it says, and again, even if you dislike Doc Hummer, I think he's guilty of a, quote, mega conspiracy, close quote, to infringe on copyrights. <laughs> mega conspiracy. <laughs> I love mega that. Upload. You ever think of something to say while someone else is talking and then forget about it? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. That was my fault then. <laughs> sorry. It, it happens to me a lot. Like, yeah. Nothing that would get past the vulgarity sensors, but I'd... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be me, so... Well... And I think we've got an S-word coming up anyway. Uh oh, but that's... oh <laughs>